hey, it's the summer and we're not going to be doing podcasts every single week because it's the summer. So if you want to know when there is a new podcast, please, well, you can either just subscribe to the podcast and like a podcast subscriber, you get all the new ones or follow at Stack Podcast on the Twitters and we'll let you know when there are new episodes over the summer. Thanks. Hang on. I lost Michael Pryor's weird Scottish tech plug. Let me get that back in. What? I That's the know. name of my new blog. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Michael Pryor's Scottish Tech Talk. This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 112, recorded Thursday, July 13th, 2017, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York City, where more than 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy, and also refer to 97% of our state's landmass that isn't us as upstate. Today's <laughs> podcast is brought to you by CircleCI. Build faster, test more, fail less. CircleCI's continuous integration and delivery platform helps engineering teams of all sizes do more. Help your development team work smarter with features like SSHing into builds, first-class Docker support, and super-fast builds, all with support for Linux, Android, and macOS. Starting this week, CircleCI 2.0 is available and features workflows, allowing teams to build faster and fully configure their build pipelines. To learn more, go to circlecis.com slash stackoverflow, sign up with GitHub or Bitbucket, and start building today for free. CircleCI 2.0 with workflows is out of beta and ready for your builds. That's circlecicom slash stackoverflow. We are also brought to you by Apple AirPods. Say what you want about how they look, but once you try them, I guarantee you'll agree they are the prettiest earrings Apple's ever made. <laughs> On today's podcast, we have our usual crew, VP of Engineering, David Fullerton. Uh, it's CTO now, Jay. I stand corrected and congratulations on your new title that you've taken in Joel's absence. That was super smart. I just claimed it. Our CTO, <laughs> David Fullerton. Hi, how you doing? Producer and occasional co-host, Jess Pardue. Hello. Ilani Itsaki is out at her 20th high school reunion. And Joel is taking advantage of Stack's generous sabbatical policy to pursue a longtime passion project, alphabetizing his socks. He <laughs> does it by the names he gives them, obviously. <laughs> Joining the gang in our studio today, we have guest co-host, Jen Schiffer, community engineer at Glitch, pixel artist, tech satirist, and proud Garden State resident. That's exit 15E on the turnpike, if you're wondering. Hi, Jen. Hi, actually, I'm CEO of Stack Overflow. Sorry, new CEO of Stack Overflow. And thanks to the authority vacuum created by Joel's absence, I have naturally seized power under Jen, obviously, <laughs> making me your host and the newly titled Grand Moff of Stack Overflow, Jay Hanlon. Welcome back, everyone. What is oh, a moff? What's a moff? I, I, don't, I don't get the reference of that. I'm Grand sorry. Grand moff. Grand moff? I don't. I'm sorry. As in Grand Moff Tarkin? Yes, it is indeed Grand Moff. See, if you had ah. if you had grown up or lived in America any time in the last 40 years or so, you would have been exposed Yeah, we're probably to... going to have to... I'm going to get killed for not knowing that. I, I literally have no idea what y'all are talking about. Star Grand Wars. Marf this Tarkin. is Star Wars driven <laughs> oh, at the Star level Wars. Of... Never I'm mind. not sure if you've seen Star I Wars. I have, but I, I, it just didn't click. She's the only like female in the original three that is not Leia, basically. I'm going to stop you for Grand a second, because right now, like, there are a <laughs> thousand geeks that are literally Googling, how do I make a letter bomb to send a stack overflow? <laughs> you're thinking, Grand I think, Moff of Tarkin Mon Mothma, the, is who the, you were thinking of, the head of the Rebel the, Alliance. So who is Grand Moff? Grand Moff Tarkin the was The obscenely played... old guy on the Death Star. Peter Cushing uh, was the, the was a fairly famous British actor who portrayed Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma was the, uh, the head of the Rebel Alliance. Grand Moff Tarkin ran the Death Star, Okay. And he was the one always like glowering and saying, then we will blow up both of her planets. To be clear, this is the kind of trivia. I, I believe they don't ever actually use his title in the movie. I could be wrong about that. This is the kind of trivia you learn not from watching the movie, but from, you know, participating in the expanded universe and reading all of the other books. And you're making it sound weirder than it was when you save up the UPC codes to send in for the, the special characters. You have to tell them which one you want. So you have to know you're, their names. Do you remember there was a collectible card game at one point? I had like a million. Oh, yeah, them. yeah. Tops. Tops made the cards. I yep. had a lot. Of yep. I think they Star came with Wars gum cards. that was hard and disgusting. Okay. Mm, I don't think there was gum. <laughs> you can send mail about how I don't know much about Star Wars to Anil Jay Hanlon, ah! care of Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going to stick a Neil with this. 
Oh, yeah, okay. sorry. Well, that was my fault. I Jay, apologize to everyone listening. Jay, do we have a guest today? We do have a guest today. Joining us today is Sarah Clatterbuck. Sarah is the Senior Director of Engineering at LinkedIn, has been there since 2012. Sarah has worked at Yahoo as well, and also Packetier, Apple, two other startups, has a master's degree from San Jose State University of Information, specializing in information architecture and systems design. Sarah's master's degree literally has more words in it than my whole resume. <laughs> and Sarah is also on the board of the Girl Scouts of Northern California. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And, you know, getting to Star Wars trivia, I had a whole set of the original action figures and I sold them when oh, I was no. 12 years old to oh, buy God. a Nintendo. <gasps> oh, you know, that's how not stupid a bad is that? I, you know, there's a part of me that thinks like, yeah, sure, they'd be worth $17 million today if like you had the guns. But on the other hand, you had a childhood of joy and wonder. Yeah, Nintendo's really cool. The yeah, original, that's the a good yeah. So like the Kenner, the original yes. Kenner. See, I yeah. know about Star Wars toys, so. <laughs> Do you remember how they had like, they had the lightsaber in the arm with like a little switch that you pushed, like it was like a compound fracture like, bone <laughs> sort of, and it slid out, it was, yeah. Wow, yeah. I, did, I never had that one. Oh yeah, the lightsaber guys had, they had lightsabers, anyway, we digress. You can but... send mail about how I don't know anything about Star Wars toys to Jay Hanlon. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, along with our audience, Sarah and I are looking down our noses at your- I'm taller than your, you, right? Oh, man, this is not going as I anticipated, <laughs> like at all. Why like, do y'all invite oh, me to this? I don't, I don't, they, they really- I did that They didn't I consult love it. me, actually. I love it. Thank you for being here with us. Sarah, we will talk all about you and what you've been working on. But first, I believe we are going to start out with what used to be known as Joel's rant and is now permanently and forever to be referred to as Jen's rant. Jen, do you have something to complain about? Yeah, I was going to complain about Star Wars, but... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wanted to talk about voice recognition devices and the uncanny valley. I hosted a conference like a month or so ago and someone talked about voice recognition and how great it is, which I think is not true. I think like voice recognition is kind of like virtual reality where it's like been around for a really long time and it hasn't really gotten all that much better. I also like things just like don't understand my voice. And you blame the devices. I just want to be clear that you see yeah, that as the device. No, okay, no, because okay. I mean, I have, yeah, I have like this like messed up Brooklyn, New Jersey accent, but like people understand <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's great. Saddest, it's a great accent. That's the saddest accent I've ever heard of. Go it's on. the best accent okay. you ever heard that's of. That's the okay? guy from Staten Island. Oh, right? Seriously. It's oh, like I, I didn't even know that. I couldn't have set it up any worse. Oh, man. I want to change I what could. my rant is about. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I got an Echo Dot. Recently, sure. and it just doesn't understand what I'm saying. Like, I'll be like, Alexa, what's the weather in New York? And like, it just like starts turning like blue or whatever and not doing <laughs> anything. And then like, my guy friend was like, Alexa, what's the weather in New York? And maybe he enunciated it a different way, but like, she understood it. And I've been reading a lot about how VR is not exactly like built in a way that like i don't know women get more sick than men do with like the oculus on their head because our eyes i think are the most like sex organs besides our genitals and that's a new fact i didn't know so the way Very that like we process depth perception is very different huh. and because it's mostly cis men who are testing and programming vr that's why like women are getting more sick through it and with voice recognition i was like oh i wonder if it's because like the cadence of them people's speeches are you know higher or faster like i can't find any like actual resources on it but it's incredibly frustrating because all these devices sound like me they like sound like femme women and it's like infuriating because yeah. one it's like it's that like, kind of gross that like that is it's of, all women and they're all named all of our women. virtual assistants yeah all, or all like, like have women. a lady to get whatever you want just to be clear i've yeah. changed my siri to be a strapping australian lad who i find quite charming okay it's just frustrating that one that it's all women and then that they, they don't understand women you know at this That's conference really at this conference in the q a i was like complaining about this and afterwards there were a lot of men who came up to me and they're like you're right my wife like these devices don't understand her but they understand me and she like is more articulate than i am and so that's like something that's really infuriating to me but i reset my router the other day and so alexa's not connected and she's like under my bed the cat knocked her over and i'm like i'll just like take that alexa. yeah and i'm like because the other day i was just like alexa what's the weather and then she was just like i am not connected open up the app and i'm like oh i'm too busy for this alexa Wait, she's 
She's still talking from under your bed. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of creepy. <laughs> so it's like I don't know if it's she like, knows what it's asking, like you want, but she you knows want her to be aware. Something. You want her to be aware of her rejection. You didn't just unplug her and throw her away. You're like, no. I'm gonna leave you plugged in, but not connected to the internet and under my bed. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think so. For starters, I love that your initial example was literally like male skewed culture has literally built a device that replicates the experience where you said a thing and no one listened to you and then your male friend said a thing and everyone's like oh no problem let's pursue that course of yeah discussion. it's like, like real life and these devices and i'm like well at least i'm not like paying for a guy to like speak over me but i paid for the dot <laughs> it was like 50 dollars. like i paid for this and i'm like this is nonsense so do we think i mean the most I don't know. We're all speculating. The most obvious guess would be like so many things, it's primarily just tested, right, on one kind of person. And so they're using that as their bench. Like, like the fact that it understands women less is super interesting. Right? Yeah. But then there are people who have done studies that said that voice recognition is actually harder for male voices because men tend to say um and other like hedge words more, which... So I studied computational linguistics in grad school, and we did a lot of work looking at interrogations and deciding computationally like whether someone's lying or not. And wow, liars cool. tend to use hedge words, which is funny that they say men are more likely to use them. <laughs> Wait, but, so you can't use those skills like right now, like while recording a podcast? Right? I'm, they, I'm, with, a, uh... I'm a human. I, don't, I didn't bring my computer with okay. me. Okay, okay then. But yeah, so that's something that is kind of weird. And then I was like, you know, they're all, all these devices are called Siri and Alexa and, and you're referring to them as she and, and she and not like it. Why are we going like uncanny valley with these devices? Like, why can't they sound like the computer in war games, for example? Like, why do we have to have them be our moms? I mean, I know the answer to that question is <laughs> what it is, but I think it's problematic. Have you heard the new Siri? No, I haven't. So I got the public beta for the, what is it, the iOS 11, mm -hmm. as Siri, I actually think it's worse from an Uncanny Valley perspective. So the new Siri sounds much closer to natural cadence of voice, based on the same woman, I would guess, the same person mm -hmm. they based on originally. But it's like so close, unlike current Siri, where it's like, I am a robot trying super hard to sound like one of you. Now it's like a human with something wrong with them. Like it's getting close enough that I find it more disturbing. Yeah, I just, it's always like str strange. I feel like if it's not a human, then it shouldn't be like a human. Like Rosie from the Jetsons, like was made to kind of like look like, like a yeah, grandma their, almost. Their yeah. Maid. She wore like an apron. Robots don't need aprons. Mechanical grandma in a French made yeah, outfit. Yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. If you say it out loud, it's kind of disturbing actually. It's, so, it's, it's all like very kind of gross and stuff and everyone out there listening should cut it out. Well, you heard it here first, Amazon. Stop it. Stop it. Well, that one's solved. <laughs> it gets even weirder when you're like, their new device is this like male inclined, not listening to women, woman servant that's designed to tell women what they should be wearing. It all gets very strange. Yeah. And... Yeah. And I mean, it all boils down to lack of diversity in both the ideas part of engineering and the actual implementation and then testing. But I don't know. Solve that also, world. Thanks. Well, that was both more thoughtful XOXO, Jen and more likely to give me dystopian nightmares than most of Joel's rants, but <laughs> less likely that anyone flies into a rage, which causes something bad to happen at the company. So that's that's good for us, I think. With that, thank you, Jen. We will flip over to David. Do you have a one minute tech review for us? I do. I do. It's going to be real quick. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my new oven. <laughs> I just moved What's into a new name? house. Thank you, right. David. I enjoy okay. making you brownies. Came with an oven, and here's why I need to give my oven a shout out. This oven has a dedicated chicken nuggets button. Okay, <laughs> I wanted to make fun of you, and instead I'm just going to respond also directed to your oven. Maximum respect, oven. That's does right it on the front. actually talk to you? Like, Please tell me it doesn't no. actually talk to you. Okay. This is a regular dumb oven, stove oven combo. It can't be that dumb. It prioritized chicken nuggets. It has regular buttons, you know, bake on off time cook and then there's a chicken nuggets button hang on we have to read it does, this it does math we'll post yeah, a picture so i've got a screenshot yeah, i'll share it with you look in the show notes picture but is this the default view i'm looking at here yep yep because i just took a picture of this right okay, before the podcast. So that time is accurate it was for, actually 10 minutes into when i was supposed to be recording the podcast you'll note for those of you who many of our shade, listeners shade david I think oh man work to some extent in software a huge part of what we do is prioritizing, right? Like, what feature will we pick? What things go on the list? What is visible without you digging in through 16 horrible gears or hot dog right, venues, right. whatever? Yep. So yep. they had to, this User is one experience. of the most important things is what shows up on the screen. And you have to pick. It's merciless unless you pick a carousel and then you have chosen wrong because you can't have everything. 
the four things they have chosen, there are literally four, four easy, easy cook, cook buttons. buttons. Yep, yep. They are crispy pizza. Yeah, I like that that was crispy, crispy pizza. It's not just pizza. It's the crispy pizza button. Chicken nuggets and proof. <laughs> I assume proofing bread, right? The bread, What's it called? I like to, dough, I like to think the, the, about the meeting that came up with that or the focus group or whatever. They're like, listen, we've got four user personas and we've got to hit all of them. <laughs> and number three, they will not buy unless they've got their chicken nugget button. And ironically, there was like no bike shedding done. They were just like, yeah, boom, yeah. done. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Ship it. Nailed it. What are the four things people make most often in a microwave? This cannot be close to the right answer. Oven, like, it's not oven. possible. Yeah. It is oven, pizza, excuse me. Slow cook. Crispy chicken pizza, nuggets and proof. Wow. <laughs> okay. So here's what I want to bake know. on it twice. How long is the chicken nuggets? Like, have you made chicken nuggets yet? Is uh, So like... I can't really. I haven't tried it. No, sorry. Okay. I've used it for baking. But We're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to get back to me. The problem is, if it were just a button you could press that, like, gave you chicken nuggets, that would be a valuable feature. Right, but this is—you've got to provide your own chicken nuggets, and this is just already cooked chicken nuggets, presumably, and this thing's just going to heat them up for you. I Sorry. asked Alexa to make me chicken nuggets, and she didn't listen to me. You know why? Because she's, <laughs> because she's sexist, is why yeah. she didn't listen. David, I think what you're describing—you're saying your oven would be better if it were the replicator from Star Trek: The Next Generation, which seems right. That probably. seems obvious. Is that one of the Star Wars uh, movies? That... Oh, I will not accept letters overflow. regarding the confusion of Star Trek and Star Wars franchises. I am not responsible. Uh, did you sign the waiver? You didn't sign the waiver. <laughs> I don't sign anything. Okay. Thank you, David, for your one-minute tech review and your utterly ridiculous oven. And congratulations on your new home in also utterly ridiculous state of Florida. With that... Thanks. We can move on to, we had some exciting news that we were sharing with the community this week about three days after we decided it ourselves. We've been talking about a new feature called Stack Overflow Channels. Ooh, channels. Hopefully, dear listeners, most of you by now have read something about channels on our blog post or the beta post asking for feedback and thoughts. But Stack Overflow Channels is everything you love about Stack Overflow in a private space just for your team. And you can go to stackoverflow.com channels right now before we even tell you what it is to help your team be one of the first to try it blindly lines in new york city always cause this fascinating phenomenon where what does this have to do with channels jay it doesn't we can talk about channels later this is about a line story that i have which i feel like this is the only appropriate time to share i'm telling it anyway so anyway we, we're watching this line and people are lined up we're literally like wondering what it is and a man in line he's not the back he's like four or five people and literally turns to the woman behind him and said hey, what are we lined up for anyway? And that's where I realized, like, you don't need a good thing. You just have to make people think there's a line. And if they wait, their place in it will be further back. That's right. That's right. We're going full on, like, stealth startup here for this project. So well, we sign told up people, now. We did tell people a little bit about it, but it's totally the, like, landing page where we haven't built anything yet or very little. And we're like, but so you could sign up today. You're also not exaggerating too much when you're like, we thought of it three days ago and we're telling you about it right now. It has been very... It might have been, might have been a couple of weeks. It was... Jen, it's been did exciting. you sign up yet? Just... Did you sign up? Um, I haven't signed up yet, but I read the blog post because I was like, oh, like, how is this different from Enterprise? And I think it's really cool that you're providing something that to smaller teams and not like huge, you know, companies because we all just want a little privacy sometimes. Yeah. So it sounds like you made sense to you. You get what it is. Yeah, get I get it. it. Yeah. So yeah, the simplest idea for those you heard in the blog post is for, I think, a long time, we felt that Stack Overflow, hopefully, is doing a good job helping with many of the questions, maybe not all the questions, that developers want to ask each other about solving problems that they can ask in public. But there's a lot of questions we believe that can't be for various reasons. It could be about proprietary code. It could be about just private or secret processes or things going on or projects at a company that they can't really be discussing in the open. And it could also be about things that would just be noise to everybody else, which is to say the only people who could know about it or the only people who are interested are other members of your team. And so having yeah. it on the public site would just crowd that up and it wouldn't work that well. Right. It's just too specific to your team. Like, hey, how do I get the build working? Can't really ask that on public Stack Overflow, but the person sitting across the building from you probably knows the answer. We hope eventually. I also think from like a sociological standpoint that people are more apt to help and ask for help when they know that their coworkers are there and it's more like geared toward what they are like working at contextually. And so I think that's a cool space to do that. There's a theory here that we've been talking about for a while, which is that one of the things that holds some people back from participating on Stack Overflow is it's kind of scary now. I mean, it's this huge place and you post and who knows who might come along and yell at you. Whereas if you're in kind <laughs> of a, a smaller community of people that 
not just the general public. It might actually be even a question you could ask on Stack Overflow. You might be more comfortable asking it in your small group of coworkers or friends versus asking the entire internet for help. So there's a little bit of that too. It's just a safer space, right? It's more familiar to people. And I think to Jen's point, one of the reasons Stack Overflow works better, I think, than like, you know, write up a useful thing is the idea of helping a specific person as a real pull for people. But the idea of helping a specific person you know almost feels like an obligation, right? There's a more of a sense of like, yeah. if somebody needs help, I like to think I'm the kind of person who wants to help them. If Jen needs help, I feel like I'm a bad person if I don't try, right? So we think there's a piece of that. And we also think, super bluntly, we think it can solve a lot more programmers' needs. We also think it's a great opportunity to get way more people involved in the site, more engagement of kind of across people who are not participating in the public site. And also, we think ultimately there's a revenue opportunity there. And we're interested in that because you can use money to buy goods and services and marshmallows and all kinds of wonderful things. We, we might do. be able to finally pay the sysadmins. That's true. They've been, you know, they keep bringing that up. And in California, <laughs> we've got apparently a legal. Anyway, that's for later. But we haven't figured any of that out yet. Our main goal now is to basically think about the things that we need to do to make it work well. And what we know in Stack Overflow is a lot of what makes it work is all this critical mass, all these people. So we're thinking about a lot of things like, you know, how do we make it super accessible in one workflow, but still totally private? So when you go to stackoverflow.com, on the homepage, you might see like any recent questions from your private channel and your teammates right on top, and then everyone else's questions, but they're clearly marked, kind of know which are which. What else? We're thinking about things like notifications. Notifications. If you ask a question on Stack Overflow, we're optimistic. We can get enough people to see it to get you an answer, you know, because we show it to like 7 million people that day. If you ask a question in a group with 20 people, waiting for them to pass by and run across it probably won't work. So we're trying to think about making sure teams have the ability to both control push notifications and also probably slightly more pushy defaults, so to speak. A natural default on a team of 15 might be, you know, check this box. Do you want to send it to everyone on the team, just this list of people, or not push it to anyone? Well, on Stack Overflow, we'd never do that and annoy tons of users. There's a new question, et cetera. <laughs> Yes, we do not give you the box that says, please email this question to everyone. Seven, mil seven million registered users on Stack Overflow. <laughs> but anyway, we're super excited. We are literally getting like signups every couple of minutes for the entirety of the last two days it's been live. There seems to be enormous excitement about this. We're gratified, but not shocked. There was a ton of inquiry into enterprise. People had also been trying to do this on Stack Overflow for a long time. Our main goal now is to get the broadest engagement possible. Actually build it. Yes. Oh, yeah. On oh, the make it thing. Oh, that's my, that's more my problem. Sorry. Yes, you got to work on that. <laughs> We've done a lot of the thinking on the back end work. And our goal actually on this one, candidly, I think there's a lot of places we feel like we didn't, we didn't get people using things and we didn't ask the community early enough for input. And we're doing this one differently. I think we've learned and we've kind of reflected on that. And so our goal is actually to get like a super kind of crappy half broken version up for us to try internally Really fast. It's going to be that crappy. No, pretty crappy. Give me, pretty crappy. Give me some respect here. Jeez. If it's not crappy, then we waited too long. And then as <laughs> soon as it mostly half works, we're going to try and bring in a small number of companies who are really excited to try it early. Obviously, our plan is to allow everyone through beta and frankly, probably after beta. We think and hope there's probably a model where a lot of small companies can use this for free. We don't know yet. We will definitely charge some people for some things. And we'll figure all that out later, although we will give everyone eons of notice before we started charging anyone who was using it before and all of your content will stay yours we hope minutes. you are as minutes interested of notice. minutes eons of many minutes eons of minutes i'm doing the nasty i'm making a star wars error none of you even know what i'm talking about nope <sighs> do you think that it would also be useful for not specifically companies but for like groups so like django girls like across the country could have their own stack overflow group where they're all asking and answering questions for each other or like Brooklyn JS could have their own. I love this question. So initially, <laughs> initially, we are trying to be fairly deliberate in saying we are targeting this specific case and this specific group. And the things we've been kind of narrow about there are we are focusing only on private channels. We're not calling them private channels as we were internally briefly, because during our very preliminary research, it turns out the phrase private channels in the EU or at least the UK generally would refer to the Playboy channel or the uh, Hustler yeah. channel, and that's not really a good look for us. <laughs> but so our version initially of Stack Overflow channels will all be private, so people have to let you in. No one else can see it except the members. And we are explicitly targeting professional development teams, teams at companies. Having said that, we do think, assuming this gels and gets as sort of as much traction, as much excitement as it initially looks like it's going to, again, to David's point, assuming we can build it, 
This is oh. a really long way to say, yeah, someday yes. we'd love to do yes. this. Okay. Is that a question that you've answered about 1,500 <laughs> no, no. well, times so already? <laughs> we, we actually, what I want to say is I don't want to get everyone's hopes up, but if you're interested in using it for something else, feel free to go ahead and fill out the interest form on stackoverflow.com slash channels. We explicitly on the page say, go ahead and do that. We want to start thinking toward that. And one of the reasons the channel's concept excited us in the first place, we had to narrow it to kind of start working on something. We really had considered things like that, which is like kind of interest groups or in particular affinity groups. Like one of the things that kicked off some of these conversations was notions about, can we find spaces for developers with a shared interest, a shared background, shared experiences to use the Q&A platform in a space that feels safer to them, whether or not it's at a company or, and those could be like, you know, closed participation, but open to read or closed totally. So it's private. We haven't figured all this stuff out yet. Cool. Well, um, I'm glad that we're thinking about it though. Like that's. Yeah. That's big on my someday list that I hope we can expand to kind of quickly. See what goes. Well, Ooh. congratulations. Thank you. So that's Stack Overflow channels. If you haven't signed up yet, go do it. Otherwise you will be last in line and all the cream puffs will be <laughs> gone. And there will be lots of links in the show notes. Just to be super clear. You should sign up right now. We're not necessarily going to go in order of the people sign up to invite them to the beta. And if you want to know more about channels, there's a great blog post by Christina Lustig. Yes. And that'll also be in the show notes. Correct. And a big shout out to tons of people, but especially Christina Lustig and Chance Heath here. An enormous amount of water to try and get this thing out quickly. We could start getting user input, start getting signups and put out something, like I said, super broken for ourselves. And then, <laughs> less so, but we've got a pretty good engine to build off of, so we're pretty excited we can turn out something pretty quick. We know a little bit about Q&A. You know a little bit about Q&A. So that brings us to my favorite segment of most podcasts, usually because it means Jen will stop picking on me. <laughs> Our developer story, which you may recall, is Sarah Clatterbuck. Sarah, thank you again Ooh. for joining yeah. us. It is wonderful to have you here. If I may, I like to always try to ask the same question, which is, tell me a little bit about, in your story, what got you started writing code? How did you become someone who wanted to make machines do what you told them to? <laughs> I actually have a little bit of a meandering path into the field. So my first exposure to writing code was actually in junior high school when I was in a gifted and talented program and we had just a very small module on the topic. And we learned the binary number system. Mm -hmm. And we also wrote a program to generate random numbers. And I was like, hmm, interesting, but not all that exciting. Were they really random numbers? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't write any tests to go with our okay. program. Okay. So, okay. Sorry, uh, so yes. on. <laughs> Go on. I just know whenever you say random numbers to a developer, they always pull me aside and there's a long explanation of why I'm not supposed to. Anyway. Yeah. We'll just say they were you random. You sent mail to Jay Hanlon, Paris Stack Overflow. <laughs> Please continue. I apologize. So after that, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, but not very exciting. I don't really see how this applies to real life. And I don't think I got the right exposure through the rest of my schooling before college to make a good decision about what I wanted to do with my career. So when I decided to go to university, I was torn between studying math, which I'd been quite good at, or studying applied design. In the end, I decided to study applied design with the thought of going into advertising as an art director. And in my junior year of college, one of my professors referred me for an internship at a software startup, and it was called SoftPress Systems. Cool. They were based in the UK. But they had an office in Sausalito, and they wanted me to do tech support. And the software was actually built for designers and was one of the really early WYSIWYG programs for developing web pages. So after I started working there, they sent me to programming classes so that I would understand how the software was working under the hood and could provide better support for our customers. And that's when I actually saw that software could solve human problems and could apply to interests that I had. And so that's what really got me excited about computer science. So fast forward a bit, I decided to complete my degree in applied design and entered the workforce and ended up building a lot of websites while I was working in advertising initially because I knew how to do it and no one else did. And then after that, I decided to move into software engineering full-time in the Valley in 1999. 
And I continued my studies after that. Not a bad time for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a conveniently good time to enter the field. Went through the whole dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. And went ahead and continued my studies in information science while I was working and also took a whole series on algorithms and data structures. So that was my journey into the field. Awesome. That's such a cool story. And it's like, it's one of those where like you were almost this sort of, you know, semi-Machiavellian Don Draper character and it all turned out that you built beautiful software instead. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a hero's journey. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about what you're doing now at LinkedIn. And if possible, how could we, as another talent platform, take all of LinkedIn's developer-facing business? No, just do the first part. Just do the, <laughs> just, just, just the first thing, what you're doing there. Forget my second question. They won't let me come on again if I get yeah. into the second question. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've revealed a part of the plan. I, was that not what I... Okay, never mind. We're just, we'll deal with that in post, don't I you worry. I moved that card to underneath, don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Sarah, jokes aside, a little bit about what you're doing at LinkedIn these days, because I thought it was super cool. Yeah, so I work in a team called Apple application infrastructure. My team is called Presentation Infrastructure, and we build the libraries and frameworks that all of the engineers at LinkedIn use to build applications. So this is everything from mid-tier services up through CSS in the browser, a lot of JavaScript framework work and open source work that we're doing. And we also build standard UI pattern libraries for web and mobile. But in addition to that, I also spend 20% of my time working on our Women in Tech initiative as one of the exec team members focused on running our high school trainee program. And the reason that I do that work is because I felt like I never got the right exposure when I was in high school to the field. And so I want to provide that opportunity for girls going forward. So I think that's super awesome. And one thing that struck me as I was reading about some of the work you were doing, and what, I think I saw you speak at, so you get interviewed with another woman at LinkedIn, I think at Grace Hopper, one of the Grace Hopper conferences. Yeah. And one thing that struck me was I think we went through a cycle where there were so many, probably too often men, or at least big corporations, sort of using the pipeline and early exposure as an excuse for not doing the important hard work of making your company more inclusive now. And like, talking about the pipeline in the early part almost became, it felt like taboo, like because people are using mm. it. So, and I love seeing like, how do we get past that and recognize like, if that's your only answer, you're not doing your job, but it still is a place where I worry if we don't do more, too many like bright young women will not be excited early enough. And so I thought that was really cool. I was pumped on seeing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely part of the solution. And I would also say that working on the program and having the young women here and having men at the company who are engineers be mentors of the young women, I think helps with the you know, current situation as well in developing empathy amongst the engineering team. So that's an awesome segue in that I've read that you kind of spoke and been known for doing a lot of work around sort of thinking about empathy for the user, whether it's accessibility or sort of a general understanding of their situation interested in sort of any of the areas you particularly explored as a company who makes software that has sometimes been accused of being deliberately unfeeling toward the, no, no, we're not. But I think that's one of the things we're trying to get better at having, we've got a mm. UX researcher now who has been a phenomenal addition, but interested in kind of some of the things you've been focused on there in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I'm known for at LinkedIn is definitely building the empathy around the end user, being inclusive, building inclusive products that everyone can use, and especially looking at users with different abilities. So we find that when we actually build products that help those users, we help everyone. It's almost like analogous to you know, when OXO started making their Good Grips products for the kitchen and you know, those actually end up being more user-friendly for everyone. And we can do the same thing with software that we build. I feel like I just read, they were designed for like arthritic folk or something like, is that right? They were, they were targeting a yeah. specific situation and it wound up being what everybody wanted, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone wants to have, you know, more dexterity in the kitchen, right? And same thing for websites, you know, as an engineer, when I'm navigating a website, I might want to use my keyboard and not always switch to my mouse because I'm coding at the same time as I'm navigating. And it's like, if our property can enable keyboard usage, that's great. It helps everyone. Yeah, one of the things that I run into is whenever people are talking about like serving the colorblind community better, what always strikes me is as one of the few people at the company who has eyes that have been alive for more than 40 years, I'm always like, I kind of like that because I can't see contrast much anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like dynamic type on mobile apps. I mean, that's a huge thing too. Like, you know, first thing in the morning, I can't read a lot of apps very well. So I'd love to be able to adjust the font. That's another usability thing. So one important question I have is why does LinkedIn want to see my contacts so badly? It's really starting to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> So I think, you know, the whole creating a network for you is really important to inferring your interests and also providing you relevant information in your feed. So we are trying to aggressively connect people so that you get the best experience of LinkedIn. I think stuff like that's funny because there's that weird imbalance between like what you can rationally recognize probably works for you and what feels like my favorite example is always retargeting. I think people have kind of gotten over this, but for a long time, retargeting had super freak people out. Like you'd be like, I was looking for red sneakers on Amazon and now I'm on this other site and they're showing me red speakers and I'm being spied on. And like, if you put together the pieces, it's like, oh, I'm now seeing less irrelevant ads. Like the ads I'm seeing on average are better. It's all stuff I knew was being cookied and saved, but there's a weird, like, it's interesting how we react yeah. sort of negatively, even though I think there's not necessarily... So I'm interested too. I thought it was super cool. You work with the Girl Scouts of North America. Yeah, Northern California. Northern California, the which there. is technically part of North America. So we yes. still own them, right? That's I mean, the I mean, science, ours. The science is still out. Yeah. But. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies of Girl Scouts. I got it right the we first time. We haven't calexited yet. So Girl, yeah. Girl Scouts of Northern California. Why the Scouts? What excites you about working with that group? Well, I mean, I think it all ties back to, again, providing girls great opportunities for exposure to STEM fields. And that's particularly what I'm working on. In addition to being a board director at large, I also lead our STEM task group where we're working on our strategies to expose the 50,000 girls that are in our programs more to STEM, to being able to have progressive, hands-on experiences every year to develop their interest further. That's awesome. And last question along those lines, which is the best Girl Scout cookie? <laughs> There's a right answer. There is a right answer. So, Well, so my answer, I mean, everyone has their own favorite, but mine is Thin Mints for sure. That's mine too. Frozen? Uh, I do agree. They're much better cold. I, I like them frozen, but you know, there is also something nice when the chocolate gets a little mushy on the outside, but it's still crispy on the inside. Yeah. That's not bad either. I like tagalongs. Those are my favorite oh, frozen. Nice. I also grew up a Girl Scout, so shouts out okay. to Girl Scouts of America. Yeah, it was so Dang. fun. Yeah. So I lied. I have a second important question on this exact, <laughs> exact, exact same topic. <laughs> Is there a thing branded as Samoas where you are? Because I recently discovered that they're only called Samoas in some parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And it was like Wait, when I found out there's an alternate universe where they were the Berenstain Bears and like I cannot function in this new world I live in. I love that story. Yeah, we have Samoas here. Okay, so, good. But there, but there are two regional bakeries with slightly different names. Right. And one, they're called like Coconut Caramel Delights or like yeah. I was too lazy to give them a name or something like that. Yeah. Instead of Samoas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. now that we've settled the important issues, what else is top of your mind? What else do you want to make sure our listeners are aware of? Think about any causes you want to refer them to. What can we get people looking at? Yeah, well, so one thing that we're doing with our high school program this year is that we are working on open sourcing it so that other companies can pick this up and run with it. Because I realized after we're in our third year right now that I could only scale vertically so much to handling students here at LinkedIn. And if we decided to scale horizontally, we might get a lot more traction and provide a lot more opportunity for girls in Silicon Valley and other places in the country. So definitely keep your eyes out for that coming soon. The other thing is that there's some really exciting stuff that our team has been working on that might interest the community, especially those using JavaScript, which according to your survey is the most popular programming language in the world. Just about all of them. Woo. And now just to be clear, none of us explicitly asked you to reference our developer survey. That was a completely natural. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I'm learning JavaScript at the moment, so I'm pretty excited about JavaScript. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm learning to write in cursive, which I feel pretty good about. Sorry, well, sorry. you know, cursive is the old texting, so <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so much faster. <laughs> Go on, Sarah. You were talking about JavaScript. Yeah. So in the JavaScript world, you know, over the last few years, there's been this sort of momentum shift away from server rendered apps and more towards client rendered apps. And we've undertaken that evolution at LinkedIn. Our most recent LinkedIn.com 
is built on a stack called Pemberley, which is Play and Restly, our mid-tier service architecture, and then Ember, which is an open source JavaScript framework for building ambitious web apps in the client. And so we've been able to build a rich, long-lived, stateful client app for our main web property. And we've been contributing a lot to the Ember open source project as well, particularly on Glimmer, which is the rendering engine for Ember. So Glimmer, we did a whole re-architecture last year, has a new VM style architecture where we actually compile the templates down to a data structure instead of a JavaScript program, which allows them to be much smaller over the wire and then to be able to track changes much more quickly in the DOM as the data is changing behind the templates in the browser. So we did that whole re-architecture last year, and then this year we contributed to splitting Glimmer.js off as its own standalone library that was announced at EmberConf in March. And so that's now a you know, standalone view layer architecture built on components and we're really excited about bringing that to the community as a lighter weight version of all the goodness that you get from Ember. And where can developers interested learn more about that? So you can learn more from emberjs.com or glimmerjs. And if I'm not mistaken, Jen, isn't Glitch's whole thing taking a thing that used to be client side and moving it server side? Because this seems like as good a reason as any to start some kind of East Coast, West Coast rap style. <laughs> well... Conflict. Well, so with Glitch, you can build apps that are static or full stack. We actually have, I was following EmberConf and created a Glimmer example in Glitch that might be on the community site right now. So you can do all sorts of things. And I like how you tease it. It might be on the community site. It might site. be. If you went and looked, like there's yeah, a variable might, reward here, you, you never to, know. If you go to Glitch.com, you might find some <laughs> cool, interesting things on there. You will. And yeah, no, I'm actually, I was, I was super stoked to see Glimmer sort of separate out because it's much easier to teach people the power of like glimmer for rendering and ember separately without having to do it as like all as a big package so i was kind of excited uh -huh. about that and also as someone who's super into like modular programming so that was like some really awesome news and yeah we are seeing people building all sorts of cool stuff with the ember glimmer and i like a lot of the things that are coming out of linkedin because y'all had recently hired tom dale one of the yeah hookers ember home in front of and yeah it's just like really cool as, as someone who's super into open source and I'm always arguing at people about consuming open source <laughs> but not contributing back. No, it's like a, it's a big problem with open source is that there's a lot of companies who are definitely thriving and surviving because of open source but not contributing back and LinkedIn is like becoming like a gold standard for like a company that's contributing and then some and that's really great. I like your acknowledgement that on the internet, we don't even argue with each other. Like that's too generous. We argue at each other. Yeah. Well, well I argue at. Uh, it's, it's, you, it's you have a deliberate Absolutely plan. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. I hope you will stick around and join in the subsequent nonsense. If folks want to follow you further, where do they find you online? LinkedIn, I assume. Uh, you LinkedIn, yeah. yeah. There's this That's great platform for connecting. So, yeah. And tell absolutely. us a little bit about what those guys do over there. No, I think everybody knows. Thank you for being on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all the good work you are doing for STEM and for LinkedIn, although you probably get compensated for the LinkedIn stuff. You don't really need my thanks. But in any case, we're glad to have you. And that brings us to the most artificially democratic portion of our podcast <laughs> each episode. As longtime listener knows, I'm trying to be more honest now, we are preparing a constitution for Stack Overflow. Hi, Dad. Each week, we bring you a proposal, and you, our listeners, will decide on whether that proposal becomes part of our new constitution with the results from last week's proposal sent in by Sharshiel Borasute. I am really sure I said that incorrectly, and I do apologize, who you can follow at at Sharshib, S-H-A-R-S-H-I-B on Twitter. The question, or the proposed amendment, I should say, is, is it okay to throw things in other people's trash when you are walking down a row of cubicles in the workplace? Where pro was, yes, you may use their trash can because essentially a shared space of some sort, and con is no, do not use someone else's trash can. It's in their private office space. With the results of last week's survey question, here is guest news editor stepping in for Alana Itzaki, who is most likely right now saying, oh, you look the same too. And what do you do these days? <laughs> Jess Pardue. Hi. Okay, so Alana actually picked out the winner like earlier this morning and put it in our lovely podcast Trello board. What I just noticed 
that the winner is also Sharshi B. <laughs> Twitter. What? Yeah. <laughs> this, wait, uh, wait. You, the winner can't be the person who proposed the question. <laughs> I don't want to overstate yeah. it. I don't want to start applying a gate suffix to everything, but this feels like a constitutional it's crisis to me. Yeah. It feels like a constitutional crisis. Well, it was pro 60%. 60%? Yeah, so you can, you can use other people's trash cans as you're walking down oh, your... I'm glad we resolved that. And anytime anybody gets pissed when I use their trash can, I'll just point them at this podcast. <laughs> but Sharshi B actually says... Con, don't use their trash can. Just leave it on their desk. One man's trash is another man's treasure. I was going to say, just like throw it on the floor. Like, <laughs> if you're mad about me using your trash, it's like, well, then I won't use your trash. I missed last week, but I don't really understand the question because, in my opinion, what you do is you like hide the dead fish in a weird spot, like under the carpet, <laughs> where the smell will build up, but it'll be so strong they'll never find the source. Like putting it somewhere in the trash or the open seems like a mistake. I may have misunderstood the. So you found that gift I left in your office, I, Jay. I did, but I got even with you because you live in Florida. Okay. <laughs> you're supposed to put shrimp in the air conditioner vent. Oh my That's God. what you do. Oh my! It's like every time we <laughs> gather, I have a new nightmare. Okay. So wait. So that's a pro. So it is now officially. We'll have to consult with the original drafter of this legislation and see legislation. That's not a word. And see if we will be calling it the Sharshiel or the Sharshi B amendment to the Constitution. In any case, congratulations. You are part of making democracy happen, unlike most places, including here. <laughs> so with this week's. New amendment proposed by user Diederik Hating. I hope I am pronouncing that one correctly. I'm a little more optimistic. Also known as at Diederik, D-I-E-D-E-R-I-K underscore Z-A. Z -A. The question, I love this one. When working in Markdown and adding to the middle of a numbered list, so you know, you got like your one, two, three, and then you realize you need a thing and it's going to go between where two and three were and you go and put it in, do you fix the subsequent numbers? Pro would be you must correct the numbers, and com would be like, why bother? It'll all come out the same from the. So what do we think? What do we? What do we? What do I we would think? have. I have to change them. I do one 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 everything. Stop I... it. I do. Stop it. Yeah, one one one. That and it fixes itself up. I feel like you're an anarchist. That's, oh, I, that's I, how that makes I am, me feel. Actually, I'm literally an anarchist. So yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wow. And that's how I'll explain what anarchy is. It's like, you know, when you're doing Markdown and you just use one, one, one. <laughs> that's and I feel list. like, right, you want to know how that's we get a warlord state of chaos and violence? It starts with Jen's kind of thinking. So you would replace them, Jess. Yeah, I think yeah. that I need to see, see them all like in sequential order before I could leave it. But what if you have like 50 list items and you're changing like the Your third one? list is too one. long. I, I know. Yeah, the list is too big. Yeah, also, you know what's great is I am capable of counting to 50, and my time has no value, I, so that works for me. I would still have to change them all. What if you're writing an O'Reilly book and it's your table of contents? <laughs> 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 so you, like, you know you're going to have a long list. I also like we're trying once again to start up a feud with Tim O'Reilly. We're not oh, going to let this go until he acknowledges don't us. Don't tell him I stole a spoon from his conference. As his nemesis. <laughs> You stole a spoon from his, but he's done well, so much good. There was only a garbage and it was silverware. I was not going to throw it out. Guys, folks, <laughs> do you, do you want to know what anarchy leads to? It's this. It's spoons. It starts with spoon theft right there. I'll return it at I, some point. I don't believe you. At the next well, O'Reilly Con, you yeah. just kind of leave it on a table yeah. somewhere. It's, I want this to be the moment like in Les Mis where you're like the, the authorities bring you and throw you down before him with the spoon and he magnanimously like pretends that he gave it to you as a gift. <laughs> You're not familiar with Les Mis? This is. I'm is, just, that, is that another Star Wars Star movie? Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Hamlin, care I, of Stack I, I, Oh my God. Oh, this is killing me because there's so few things I cared about as a child, and Star Wars was one of them. Okay, David, I'm with you, and thank you because I'm going to be seeing Les Mis all night tonight. And so, <laughs> for those of you who work near me in the office, if you hear me screaming 24601, thanks, David. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, I can't stare at it. Like to me, like it's the same as if I saw a list that said like one B, like pie. Sometimes, like, uh, yeah, I would be arguing my... with myself. Like it doesn't matter. Stop, stop right. caring. It doesn't right. matter. It's fine. No, no, I have to fix it. I'm just gonna start putting one. I mean, that's... just do one. It's kind of like I mean, when you were doing with HTML, it was just like li. Like everything right. looks the same, item. and item. so. Yeah. This podcast is not for the spread of your anarchist propaganda. It's... I mean, I believe that that's why I was invited. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just got handed a note. I was not in the loop on what the purpose of this podcast was. I apologize. 
For those of you, I can't imagine, we have many listeners who don't use Markdown. In Markdown, you can indicate a numbered or unordered list with like little asterisks or numbers, but the point is that numbers you put don't actually matter. It will always take an ordered list and number them one, two, three, four, et cetera. So you can put one, 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 or one, four, five, seven, or whatever. Anyway, please, pro again is you must correct the numbers because we live in a society with laws and con <laughs> is why bother. There is no point because the output will be the same. Either way, post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast with either pro or con and your explanation. Make it short but insightful. The best explanation, whether on the winning or the losing side, will be read on next week's podcast and will win a shiny new Stack Overflow sticker courtesy of the Stack Overflow podcast. All taxes on sticker are your responsibility. Also, submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments, and one of them might be named after you, like happened just today. You can post your proposed constitutional amendment to the same Twitter platform using the same hashtag Stack Overflow podcast which is why I don't need to repeat this and I'm making everyone sad with our redundancy. <laughs> but if it's non-terrible, we may feature it in a future poll. Ooh. And with that, I think we have arrived at any news of the day. Recently, a question was posted to the Stack Exchange workplace site asking about the ethics of automating your programming job. The developer in question felt guilty about how he turned his whole job into less than two hours of work per week by writing a bunch of scripts. So what do we think <laughs> about the ethics of automating your job? I believe, if I recall correctly, in this story, not only did he automate the job, but he was purposely adding bugs so it seemed less like he had automated it, and yeah. that's where ethics come up. Yeah, you've quickly <laughs> drilled into the easy ethics question that lies right on top of the slightly harder or more yeah. nuanced ethics yeah, this question. Yeah, this went viral. Uh, yeah. I think it was about a week and a half ago or so. So just quick context backgrounds, as most of you know, we have a whole network of Q&A sites. One of them, which actually is full of really interesting kind of insightful discussions, questions, I should say, not discussions. We don't do discussions here. But the workplace, kind of like our parenting site, I'd say, has questions that may feel like they don't have an answer and then someone answers and you're like oh that had an answer like there's a series of just superior you can see which is better often 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 there's different reasonable choices but anyway they asked on this thing and as you described and they basically were getting paid to do this thing that they thought would take 40 hours to kind of parse all this data and output a thing and eventually they wrote a script to do it all and it took them two hours of processing or normalizing to get it through their script each week and they work from home and they spend it with their kids have a nice time. And to your point, they're asking, is this unethical? Like they're kind of getting what they wanted. They're paying what they wanted. But I feel like they might not exactly, like we might have a lack of shared understanding, which is really emphasized by the fact that he was having it introduce bugs so they would not suspect he had automated it. So the question is, who's the worst person in this room? It's not really related, <laughs> but I feel like we're talking about ethics. And I, it's David. David Definitely. would do it. That's what David has done. He's a CTO script. I haven't worked here for years. I don't know if <laughs> you guys are just realizing that. I feel like I've been pretty upfront about that, but if this is news to anybody... Well, the question is, sorry. is it unethical because someone would be surprised? I don't think anybody would be surprised that you haven't done anything in years. That feels <laughs> That's relatively... Right. That's right. Well, I think, so what do we okay. think? So introducing the bugs is obviously not cool. Like That's definitely getting in the unethical territory. But if Clearly, I was I able to automate my job, then I think that's awesome. But I would also tell them and say, I was actually able to do this. So give me something else to fix. Right? Like, Yeah. So in a capitalist society, this would be seen as unethical. But in a like better one, that would be <laughs> fine. True. The only ethical issue I find in the grander scheme of things is the inserting bugs into it to fake your way, which shows me that the original poster knows that in the grand scheme of things, in the space that he's working in, it wouldn't be seen as ethical to like who matters, which would be his employers and his coworkers. Hey, you guys remember like five minutes ago when I thought Jen was joking about turning this into an anarchist propaganda <laughs> podcast? So to your point, I think we can all agree. The easy one is like, no, you can't make your output worse on purpose to trick someone about a thing you don't want them to know. That is clearly unethical, but I think almost everyone's The interesting thing in this to me is like, there's a weird thing where on some level, I feel like there's a general moral test, which is if you have to hide your behavior from someone and the reason for that isn't some higher ethical good, a bigger thing, that is generally a problem. Like there's a, there's a flaw in your ethical situation. If hiding your behavior is a necessity to behaving the way you want from someone with a stake in it. There's a more practical thing that I think is kind of weird and interesting, which is 
I feel like he is essentially being unethical as an employee because we have this weird relationship with our employees where we expect kind of some combination of like an expected amount of hours and an expected amount of output. And they both have to be in some range for us all to be comfortable. If he were a consultant or she, who knows, I feel like oddly, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Like if they were a consultant paid for this output, you'd kind of feel like if they estimated it took this time, unless they bill by the hour, with an employee, there's a little bit of an implied, like, I'm owed X hours of work, I think, in most companies. It feel, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. If you're salaried, I think that is an aspect to it. It's sort of, what are you actually being paid for? Like, are you being paid for your output or are you being paid for the hours you work? For a salaried employee, it's generally expected you're being paid, like, to do the work. And if you suddenly have some free time, you're supposed to say, hey, I've got some free time. What else do you have? Not just go home and goof off. Right. But clearly this person doesn't think that that might have been part of this sort of like social contract between him and his employer, but is kind of questioning it because of adding the bugs. I think that it completely depends on the employer, whether the person feels like they're being paid fairly and what they're, I don't know. I just, I think of how there are people in like finance or like a wall street, for example. And do I think that they all are working ethically not necessarily, they might be causing great harm to people. In this situation, him automating his job doesn't seem to be causing harm to a particular class of people that may be below him. But we might not know that there are other people on his team. Maybe they're like all women who are busting their asses to cover his, and he might just not realize that. There's like a greater scheme of things that we would need to know in order to answer the question completely i don't think any well, i don't know i don't it's not intuitive to me why anyone would suggest the automation is in and of itself unethical right the question is is it okay not to disclose that to the employer i think i think right. jen's right though that it depends on the job right like, if i were somehow able to automate my job here that would be great because i'm never not busy but We'll get, a, would... we'll get a robot in like a French made grandma thing. It'll be super creepy. Oh, and, yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. Robot and just make sure Jess. she. Because <laughs> he's automating his work and he's getting what, like he said, like two weeks work or two months work done in like a day. Are there people within the company that is waiting for that work? Like, but they have to wait even though it's been done already? Like, there's just, I feel like... Well, but that goes back to, like, because he's holding it back or introducing yeah. bugs. Yeah. There's certainly, you know, he's withholding information that the company would really like to know, almost certainly. Right. Right? But if they're thriving without it, then fine. It's just, I think in this situation, just stop introducing fake bugs. That's not cool. Yeah, that part's easy. I feel and like... then let them find out for themselves that you've... Well, it. like I was saying, like if I could automate my job here, that would be really cool. But I really love this company, so I would want to be like, "Hey guys, I found a way around this. I want to do something else now." Yeah, the other thirty-eight hours of the week—the respect thing. Yeah, a decent company is not going to get mad at you for automating your job. They're going right. to say, "Wow, this is great. Let's find other things for you to automate." There's a little bit, pretty clearly in his write-up, there's an undertext of like, this is not a great company. He doesn't think that there's going to be a great outcome if he goes and tells them. They're not going to be like, great, thanks for doing such a great job. Here is more work for you. They're just going to fire him. Yeah. So that, I think, makes the ethical question interesting. It's like, well, let's just assume that that is the outcome. Let's assume he knows that. Is he still obliged to tell them, knowing that he will then lose his job and have to go find another job? Another thing, because I haven't read this in a while, I think was part of it was that he was like hired as like an engineer, but it was kind of a bait and switch thing where he's basically doing data entry. So like, yeah, they like sound like they suck, which is why I was like, just stop introducing bugs and then like just automate <laughs> it. You're being an engineer. That's what they hired you to do. And maybe they'll find out. But I think he was hired for like data entry. Hired as a programmer. My job is pretty much glorified data entry is what he wrote. Oh, I see. So this was picked up by Business Insider and... Not surprising to me, I think. They said that to the, at the Stack Exchange workplace site, it was kind of overwhelmingly, we're pretty sure this is unethical. Here's a whole bunch of reasons and well-reasoned things why this is unethical. Hacker News, apparently, though, was completely the other way. <laughs> they, all, they all were like, no, this is great. <laughs> I know there were actually, there were a lot of slightly different takes with 
like different good takes on ways to assess the ethics here, like about like, do you sell results? Like, what's the dishonesty angle? I think they all agree with Jen's first point. No, you can't make the output worse to hide what you were doing. That is pretty, <laughs> pretty like... broadly agreed to be unacceptable. But it's worth a read if you search for, uh, is it unethical for me not to tell my employer I've automated my whole job? One thing here that struck me, like I remember Joel's written about a little bit, like the truth is if we have two developers and they both produce like wonderful equal amounts of work, and one of them basically works for like seven hours straight and takes an hour off for lunch and whatever, and another one kind of like gets in a crazy zone and works for like four hours of beautiful flow and produces the same output and then spends the other four hours like playing Hearthstone to clear their mind or, you know, other things developers might do. Joel's kind of position in the past was that those are okay. Like they have two different methods to produce the same amount of work. However, there's some line where if somebody was like, oh, remember that thing we had like a team of people do like that we were before doing all this work on, I found a way to make it all go away. And now I finish it an hour a day. We wouldn't be like, hey, good on you. You got a new flow. Our take would be like, awesome. Like we would feel like we could be putting them to work in, I don't know. I don't know where that line is. It's an interesting nuance. And I think it depends on how much teams play into your role. Like if he's working in like a vacuum, then I can see why he wouldn't care. But if it was a team thing and I was working like two hours on two months of work and the rest of my team was like busting their butts the whole time that they didn't know, I feel like that that would be and disrespectful. Right, and that's just another way to phrase like, he's got some slack time now where he could be doing something. It's hard to empathize with a company, right? And say, well, he could be helping yeah. the company be more successful. But if you say, well, Companies he could be helping people his team. Too, David. Yeah, the, well, I mean, there are there are people <laughs> in the, the company. And if the company is not like... <laughs> it's people. It's made of people. Well, it's like there are people who are impacted by this. Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, Sarah, as an engineering manager, what would you do in this case if you discovered that somebody was doing this on your team? I mean, I would think that the fact that they automated was awesome, but, you know, I would want to know. I think it's like, what's the intent of the automation? If the intent of the automation is to avoid redundant work so that everyone can do more interesting and hard problems, that's great. If the intent of the automation is, I'm going to let my program do my work so I can go sit in a park all day, like, that seems dubious. At a previous employer, it was discovered that they had been outsourcing their web work overseas and they were a remote worker. They were like salaried but remote, but they weren't actually doing any work. They had like hired someone to do it like oh, overseas. I mean the developers had subcontracted to cheaper developers. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. awesome. Um, that is awesome. Yeah. I, and actually there was news about this because this happened at Verizon. There's like a Verizon engineer at the same time who was like oh, doing, I saw that. The, doing the same thing. Yeah. And I remember when I was interviewing people to replace me, ultimately, it was very important that we did like a video chat with the person that we're interviewing so that we weren't interviewing, like it wasn't being outsourced to interview to like someone overseas or something (laughs) like that. And I just remember thinking like, I can see why you don't want this, but I also like don't exactly fully see what in the grander scheme of things why this is like wrong but then again that showed a lack of like i didn't really have much respect for the company i was working at if that were happening like if fog creek i'd be like this is messed up why would you do this i'm about to tell anil i'm just kidding (laughs) i outsource all my work to jay (laughs) which might explain its current level of quality (laughs) it actually surprised a lot of people to learn that jay actually runs jen's twitter account (laughs) that I think that would surprise quite a few people. So now any any hate really that's funny. going to Jen's Twitter account should now go to Jay Hanlon, care of Stack Overflow. <laughs> oh, man. If I get one piece of Star Wars hate mail, Jen, I don't, I'm not good at threats, but you can know that I wish I could make one right now. No, it's all going to come to me because I didn't know Mon Mothma. Mothra? <laughs> that's another Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Hanlon care stack overflow. (laughs) Somebody please Photoshop a Mon Mothra. Well, you've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow podcast number 112, where one of us appreciates the finer things in America's cultural movie lexicon. Recorded Thursday, July 13th, 2017 at Stack Overflow headquarters. This podcast has been brought to you by Apple AirPods, the Bluetooth headphones with the recharging case that will surely make your friends all wonder just what gross condition might cause you to carry dental floss on you at all times. <laughs> and also, CircleCI 2.0, available today at circleci.com slash stackoverflow. 
I won't give you a third also, because what have you done to deserve that? But for our numerous <laughs> Scottish visitors, or those of you traveling through the Highlands next month for fun or profit, join world-class data scientists, world-class engineers, and also Michael Pryor, best known for being my neighbor and the scarecrow in his high school production of The Wizard of Oz, after which perhaps you might know him as the CEO, former CEO and current president. Uh, he ran Trello. He still runs Trello under the Atlassian umbrella. Look for him and companies like Heroku, GitHub, AWS, and Trello sharing how they share knowledge and expertise on the cutting edge of tech. You know what? I'm going to take it further. I bet they do it on the bleeding edge of tech. The event is the Turing Fest. Named, of course, for famed geologist Frederick Turing. No, it's for Alan Turing, who really, it shouldn't joke about giving someone else recognition because he got so little for so long. Named after the fabulous Alan Turing in Edinburgh, Scotland, August 2nd and 3rd, 2017, because it'd be really early to plan for next year. Go to www.turingfest.com to see Michael Pryor and a number of other awesome speakers. For us here today, our audio engineer, of course, is Carlos Hernandez. Audio editor is David Greenlee. Technology concierge is Michael Rosa. Producer is Jess Pardue. Executive producer is Caitlin Pike. On behalf of Sarah Clatterbuck, Jen Schiffer, David Fullerton, Ilani Itzaki's countless awkward conversations with old classmates, and Joel Spolsky's third favorite pair of hosiery, the Winklesox twins, I'm your host, Jay Hanlon. Have a better than average day. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> I think it has to be human readable to someone editing the file behind you. So Ooh. that's why I do it. I mean, that's also assuming that Markdown is human readable, which I disagree with. I agree that Gruber oversold that point a tiny bit when he yeah, first he announced it. He, he, made it he, he made it sound like it was like, it's amazing because it's both plain text and WYSIWYG at the same time. Now here's how you use tables. Oh, <laughs> uh, tables. Yeah, my tables. <laughs> Doesn't the but the new doesn't uh, Downmark down uh, what do we call Downmark? No, Denmark. I'm thinking of Holland. Those are different countries, yes. probably. What's the new one called? I can't believe I'm blanking. Mark face, Jeff Mark. Common Mark. <laughs> common Mark. Doesn't Common Mark do tables? It's yes, Mark Common face. Mark does tables. They called it Markdown 2.0, and then Gruber lost his mind, and then they renamed it to Common Mark. Disagreed politely, I would say, <laughs> respectfully. Took issue. This is a good day for starting feuds, I feel. The all East Coast, the, West Coast thing didn't work out. Feud. We'll make it in anyway. Nobody Love listens to the podcast. Don't worry. Listen, the best thing that could ever happen to this podcast would be for John Gruber to lose his mind <laughs> over something that was said in it. <laughs> the only thing I hate more than Johnny Ives' haircut is the goddamn Stack Overflow podcast. We'll be famous. We're all going to be famous. That would be amazing. We <laughs> would, we would get tens, tens of listeners. Yes. Yeah, as long as all hate mail is directed to Jay Hanlon, like Kara, Stack, Stack Overflow. Overflow.